Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. So as we wrap up our final sermon in our sermon in, in the Advent season in our sermon series entitled The Christmas Cast, we're going to be looking today at the story of Mary and Joseph and specifically their faithfulness. And then finally, we're going to see how God is wrapping that all together and bringing that story of Mary and Joseph's faithfulness from 2,000 years ago, and he brings it right directly into our hearts. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Let's read the, the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. We're going to look at three points today. We're going to look at the story of Mary's faithfulness, we're going to look at the story of Joseph's faithfulness, and we're going to look at the story of God's faithfulness. Let's begin by looking at the story of Mary's faithfulness, starting in verse 18. Look with me again as we just read it a second time to remind us. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Man, this verse just packs so much in it, so much power in it. This summarizes actually one verse that the story of Luke expounds on. You see, Luke focuses a lot on Mary's story and Matthew focuses more on Joseph's story. And we're actually gonna turn to Luke in a few minutes to understand more about what Mary was going through and Mary's demonstration of her faithfulness. But before we do that, in order to understand Mary's faithfulness to God, we have to understand how engagement worked in the first century. So in the first century, if you were betrothed, you were engaged it is actually a legally binding thing. It's as if you were married, but it was a year-long process. Can you imagine getting engaged to someone and having a legally binding year-long process in order to get married? And they did this for a number of reasons, but Joseph is actually referred to as her husband in verse 19, even though they haven't consummated the marriage and they weren't living together at the time. And it said that he was going to divorce her. This just tells you how powerful this engagement or this betrothal would be. So if you were engaged to someone, uh, a man would go to the, 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 his, his future wife's father. He would go to his future father-in-law 
And there would be an exchange of money. There would be a dowry paid. There would be legally binding contracts signed. And then that man would then go away. He would actually leave his fiance. He would leave his fiance's family, go back to his home, and he would begin to prepare a home or a place for his wife to come to. He would save money. He would work. He would almost like, he, uh, just think about him fashioning a home in every way possible. That's what that man would do. And then after a year, he would go back to his wife's family. Okay, he would go back to his betrothed and he would take her and there was this ceremony that they would engage with on this beautiful walk between the wife's family that she would be staying at and there was this walk where people would be celebrating, there would be a feast to celebrate these things and then she would come back to her husband's home that he had been preparing for her for an entire year and then they would consummate their marriage. And so an entire year of engagement was spent. And, and what we see is that Mary was in the process of this ceremony of coming together. She was actually at the end of that ceremony. Joseph had come back after a year of preparation and then it was made public that she was pregnant. He saw her. Now you can imagine what is going on. I can't even imagine what's going on in Mary's mind right now. But let me tell you, this woman is suffering. She knew that she was innocent of the crime accused to her of cheating on her husband, on her betrothed. Um, and, and she knew probably that Joseph was considering divorce. He's trying to figure out what to do. This woman that I had been engaged to, this woman that I had been faithful to, that I had done my part, I was preparing a house for her and I came back to get her. I had paid a dowry. I had done this work. And now all of a sudden she's pregnant. Now you can imagine what she's feeling as she's trying to explain to him, but there's an angel, but the son of God, but the promised Messiah. And you can imagine his response. Her life, Mary's life, is falling apart. She's ruined. If it came out that, that her husband had divorced her, no other man would, would want her. And, and it's almost like a death sentence to not have a husband in the first century because of the, the social structure. But my friends, Mary is faithful and she believes God. And we actually can understand this. We know more about Mary's response when we go beyond the story of Matthew to her response to Jesus' call in the story of Luke. And I want to put this on the screen. I want us to read this because I truly believe that as we look to Mary's faithfulness, we need to expand her story and especially see how she is responding to God's invitation to carry and birth the Savior of the world. Look with me at at Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born will be called Holy the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. My goodness, there are so many beautiful things to dive into in this text, but I just want to point out too. The descriptions of Mary as faithful and the process of Mary's faithfulness. So look with me, if you have your Bibles or you have a a phone that is open to Luke 1, you see that she's referred to as a virgin. More than likely, Mary was a teenager, and it says twice that she was favored. He says, oh, favored one. It says that she had found favor with God. That's another way to say that God's grace was resting upon her. My friends, this is nothing within Mary that encouraged God to do this. God doesn't respond to our actions. We respond to God's actions, right? And so this idea of Mary is that she was given grace by God, that she was shown grace by God, that Jesus was actually the only perfect human being that ever walked the face of the planet, that Mary, not by her faithfulness, she did not earn God's favor, but it was by God's favor that he blessed her and gave her this incredible gift to carry the Son of God into the world. So we see that she is a faithful person, but God's grace was resting on her. But we see the process of Mary's faithfulness. You can see what happens. She responds to the angel three times. It says, she verbally responds twice, but she responds, there's a record of her response three times. After the angel first talks with her, in verse 29, it says she was greatly troubled when this angel showed up. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, here's the deal. Every single time an angel shows up in the Bible, people are scared. Angels are scary things. They're scary creatures. They're not like little cherubim that are floating around, looking like little fairies, like with with wings on them, like floating around on a cloud somewhere. Like they're actually like God's warriors, God's messengers, God's commanders. And when you see them in person, most often people fall on their face. And they actually, a lot of times, they begin to worship those angels. And those angels have to say, no, don't worship me, worship God, because they're powerful, they're strong, they're glorious looking. So Mary's reaction is disturbance. But, what, but look at what she's doing. This marks her entire interaction with the angel. It says she tried to discern. Like there's an element of discernment. She's trying to understand. Her heart posture is that of humility, trying to understand what the angel is saying, not defiance, questioning him. Um, she does ask questions. She said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's asking questions to understand. And what's very interesting is this is in a direct contrast to earlier in Luke. Remember how it said at the end she had Elizabeth? Um, She had a relative, Elizabeth, who was in her old age having a baby. Well, Elizabeth's husband was a man named Zechariah. In the account, there's a similar story. An angel shows up to Zechariah and tells him that his wife who is barren is going to give birth. And Zechariah almost says the exact same words as Mary, but he is actually um, muted. He, was, he actually couldn't speak for the entire time that his wife was pregnant as a punishment for his lack of faith. Now the question is, what's the difference between Zechariah's questioning and Mary's? The difference is this. Mary's heart was humble. 
She had a heart of discernment. She had a heart, a posture of humility. Zechariah was like, how in the world are you going to do this? It's almost like scoffing at the angel that was coming to give him this incredible news that his wife was going to be born. But Mary's heart was humble. She was, she was questioning, not in doubt, but she was questioning in faith, believing that this was going to happen, just wanting to understand and discern the process. And then finally, the third response to the angel, she said, after the angel is done speaking, she said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, I am a servant. That's the same word for doula. Doula. It's, it's the female version of slave. She says, I am God's slave. She's submitting to God's lordship. She's coming under him. And she says, let it be according to your word. You see how it's God-centric? It's not like, oh, well, I can't help it, so I'll just go with the flow. No, it's an active submission to God, active submission to be his servant, to say, I am just a slave to God. I'm a slave to his will. Let it be according to whatever your will, whatever your word wants for me. Well, there's some things that I think we can learn from Mary's faithfulness. I think first is that it's okay to be confused and troubled. I think when God gives us direction, when he leads us in a certain place, it's not a sin to be confused. It's not a sin to be troubled because Mary, I don't believe in this moment, Mary was sinning and she was definitely confused, but she had a heart posture to understand. And that's where we get to the second point. We can ask questions, but in the right way. It's questioning God from a position of faith to discern or questioning God from a position of doubt to question his character or his abilities. And so we see that Mary is questioning God from a position of faith in the right way. And the result of this is a complete submission to the will of God. That's what Mary said. She said, let it be according to whatever your word says. I am just here to be a servant. I am a servant of God. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I could stop here and say, great, let's do these things, right? Well, there's a problem here. We've got to come to the, the problem. But do we do this? Are we like Mary? And my friends, I think if we're honest with ourselves in a lot of ways, no. We are often confused and troubled by what God tells us. But many times we tend to respond with either questioning God's character or God's ability. We question God's character. God, are you good in this? Or we question his ability. God, are you sovereign? Are you really in the details of this? Are you just detached? And what happens there is it results in us not completely submitting to God, but rather we go our own way. We stubbornly try to go our own way. We refuse to go after God. We refuse community. And, and what happens, especially when hard times hit or a hard word hits, that we tend to go our own way instead of staying faithful to God. And Mary is a great example for us, but one that we often fail to live up to. So that is the story of Mary's faithfulness and, and, and our lack of ability to meet that. Well, maybe we're, we'll be able to meet Joseph's faithfulness. Let's turn to the story of Joseph and see if we have a different outcome. Matthew 1, starting in verse 19. And I'm going to strategically skip a few verses, verses 22 and 23, and we're going to come back to those at the end of our sermon. Matthew 1, starting in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, this is the story of Joseph's faithfulness, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now down to verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, my friends, to understand Joseph's faithfulness, we have to go back again to look at engagement in the first century. Remember, engagement. They were committed. He is preparing his whole life. He's preparing a home for her. And then he comes back to get her after a year of being away. And what does he see? Her pregnant belly. He's been away for a year. He's been preparing. And, and we see him referred to as her husband. That's how he thought about it. And can you imagine the sense of betrayal that he felt? Can you imagine the heartbreak that he had after paying her dowry, after working an entire year? He, the Bible says that he was a faithful man. He was a just man. He was wise. He was righteous. He had done all of the right things. He had done all of the right things. And the outcome was his wife is pregnant and it's not his kid. Can you imagine what he felt? The sense of betrayal the sense of hurt. But, but, but we see that, that there's some really clues in here about Joseph's really amazing character. The Bible says that he was a just man. That word means righteous or upright. He valued the righteousness of God and reflected it. And it says he was unwilling to put her to shame. So in that context, um, he could have had her stoned, could have had her killed because of what she did. But instead, he was caring. Listen, this is so crazy. In the midst of his fiance, what he perceived as his fiance cheating on him, after he went away for an entire year to prepare for her, coming back to get her and seeing her pregnant, he is even thinking about what's best for her, even though he thinks she cheated on him and lied about it. He's thinking about what's best for her. This is a just man. This is a righteous man. This is a good man. And then it says he resolved to divorce her quietly and he was deeply considering these things. He was pondering these things. He was caring about the details. He was vexed. He was concerned. He wasn't at peace about it. He kept mulling this over. And I truly do believe that he was thinking about what was best for Mary. Now, and, and remember again, they were at the end of a year-long ceremony when this happened. And he's still thinking about divorcing her quietly. My friends, Mary was suffering in this moment with her fiance and her whole family thinking that she had done the unspeakable. And Joseph was suffering too with the sense of perceived betrayal. And we can understand why he thought that. We can understand why he didn't believe Mary when Mary's coming to him, maybe talking about an angel and Gabriel and son of God and, and virgin birth and all these things. You can, you can understand where Joseph is coming from, but both Mary and Joseph are suffering here deeply. But then Joseph goes to sleep. He's vexed about these things. He's pondering them. He's considering them. And an angel appears to him in the dream. And to understand Joseph's faithfulness, we have to see his response to the angel. It says at the end of the angel's instructions to Joseph, it says he did as the angel commanded. My friends, he didn't verbally say it, but by his actions, he had complete submission to God. He had complete 
submission to God in defiance of logic, in defiance of reason, and even in defiance of social pressure. I want you to picture this for a second. Picture him going away and coming back, right? If he divorced Mary, Mary would be seen as the lawbreaker and the unholy one. Now imagine his friends at his home. He's been preparing his home and he says, hey, I'm going to go away to bring my wife back. There would have been some celebration. There would have been a send off. And then he goes to go grab Mary and bring her back home to this home that he's been preparing. Now imagine if he comes back without Mary. He divorces her and he comes back and his friends are asking, what happened? He is able, he could have been able to say, well, she was pregnant when I got back. And everybody's like, oh, okay, all right. Now you see, in that moment, Joseph's reputation is preserved. Mary's reputation is the one that's shattered. And you see, he probably could have found himself another wife. And he probably could have moved on with his life, with his integrity and his uprightness and his justness and his holiness preserved in the eyes of his friends. Now I want you to picture this moment. His friends give him the send-off. They send him away to get his bride and she comes back pregnant and they're still getting married. Now you can imagine that looks terrible on Joseph. Joseph would have been seen as the lawbreaker. Maybe he snuck back. Maybe he didn't want to wait. Maybe he didn't want to do the full year. Maybe he snuck back and had a liaison with his fiancee and that's why he's marrying her to take care of his own child because he was the lawbreaker. He was the one that wasn't faithful to God and faithful to God's commandments. And then he would have to live the rest of his life with that shame hanging over his head, even though he did nothing wrong. My friends, Joseph takes on the responsibility for his family, even at the detriment of himself. Now, I also want to note this too. In Luke, there is, Mary has a vocal obedience. She has this back and forth discussion with the angel. And then later on in Luke 1, she sings a song called the Magnificat. That's, that's Latin for, for let, my, let my soul rejoice, right? And so she is, is singing, she's responding, she's vocal, and sh- this is contrasted with Joseph's quiet obedience. Do you notice in the text he doesn't say a word? It just focuses on his actions. This is not normal, but this is beautiful that Mary was the one who was vocally obedient. Joseph was the one who was quietly obedient. And Jesus elevates their different struggles in the Gospels. And so in Matthew, this is Joseph's quiet reception of this incredible responsibility and suffering. And in Luke, there's Mary's vocal reception of this incredible weight of responsibility and this incredible suffering that she would have to go through as well. See, they both would suffer more ridicule than we can even see or imagine. But both are faithful to carry the baby Jesus and to care for him well. Now, my friends, uh, what can we learn from Joseph's faithfulness? Remember, we looked at Mary's faithfulness and said, well, we don't always do that, but, but maybe we have some hope here with Joseph. Let's look. One, being righteous means to thoughtfully consider the well-being of others, even if we perceive that they have betrayed us, that we withhold the maximum harm to think about how we can cause the least harm to others. And then secondly, men need to take responsibility for their family in following God's will like Joseph did. So, again, we could leave the sermon and say, go and do likewise, but the problem is we can't do that. And the problem is we don't often do this. We don't often act like Joseph. You see, 
when we are harmed, we are often committed to causing the most harm to those who have harmed us, don't we? Doesn't your mind go immediately to how can I hurt them worse than they hurt me? What can I say? How often do we mull it over in our minds after maybe someone calls us out or embarrasses us in front of a group of other people? How often do we go home and at night or maybe in the showers we're thinking, all of a sudden we think about that comeback that would have just totally demolished that person. Our default is not to think how can we minimize harm. Our default is to think how can we get back or hurt them like they hurt us or worse. And my friends, as we've seen quite frequently, Men do not often take responsibility for their family in following God's will. And instead of having an active obedience like Joseph, men have a, a, a passive disobedience to God, letting their families run, not following God's will, just sitting back, letting their wives handle the kids, letting their wives handle all of the stress of the house and not actively discipling their families. So, second Second strike, right? First strike, we're not often like Mary. We question God. We're not often like Mary. We don't question God in the right ways that leads to obedience and faith. Rather, we question God in, in ways of doubt that leads to disobedience and a lack of faith. We're not often like Joseph, who was righteous and careful and thoughtful and obedient to Jesus, even when it looked bad on him. We're not like that. Oftentimes, we're disobedient. We try to preserve our reputation in front of others. So, welcome to the third week of Advent. The question is, where's the hope here? Uh, what do we learn from the story of Mary and Joseph's faithfulness? And, and now we've seen that there's a lack of ability. Where's the hope? Where's the joy? We're in the Advent season. Josh, why are you finishing the sermon on this point that we can't be like Mary and we can't be like Joseph? Well, what I find is that we need, we actually need an, another story. We need a third story here. We need the story of God's faithfulness. Look with me at Matthew 1, starting in verse 21. She will bear a son, this is the angel speaking, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's, God's with us. My friends, there's an old song called There is Power in the Name of Jesus. It's an old song, but it's true. This word Jesus is the Hebrew word for Yeshua. That's where we get the word Joshua from. It means the Lord is my salvation. It means God saves. It's God saving. God is our salvation. God is embodying our salvation. And when he says, for he will save his people from their sins, the angel is quoting from a psalm. And it's Psalm 130. And it's short enough for me to read here because it fits the theme of Advent so beautifully, like hand in glove, the themes. And I want you to read. When, when we're reading this, I'm gonna put it on the screen. Psalm 130, uh, I, I want you to think about the themes of promise, hope, waiting, and salvation. I want you to look for those themes as we read Psalm 130 about God's faithfulness. This is what it says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O God, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits 
and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. My friends, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful as we think about Advent. Out of the depths, in the darkness, when we cry to God, he hears us. And then we see, for the psalmist, there's a period of waiting. There's a period of waiting for the salvation to come. He says, my soul waits, but there is a hope in his waiting. And he says, in in his word, I hope. This means that the psalmist is confident in the promises of God. He is confident in the word of God. He's saying, I am trusting that God is going to be faithful to his promises. And that's what's giving me hope in the waiting. And then he says, with God, there is steadfast love. And we talked about this word last year in our Words of Grace series. That word means, that word is hesed in the Hebrew, and that means covenant faithfulness. That means that God is faithful to his own covenant. He is faithful to his own promise to love us, that he will love us based on his character, not based on our character, steadfast love. And he is committed to his promises. And finally, it says those last words that translated into Greek uh, are what the angel said. It says, and he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities, all their sins. What he's saying is that there will be a savior that will come that will save his people from their sins. God is faithful. Jesus is the ultimate and complete fulfillment of Psalm 130. And we see that, we see the foretaste of that, we see the hints of that in the angel's message. And the story of God's faithfulness has been penned throughout all of human history since the garden. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise for us. And this is a promise fulfilled that Jesus is the savior sent to save us from our sins. This is a promise fulfilled that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with you and me. And this is a promise fulfilled that God is an ever-present, ever-close Savior that anticipates and resolves the need that our sin creates from eternity to eternity. My friends, we learn from the story of Mary and Joseph that they are good examples. But examples are incomplete in order to change us. What we learned is that we needed God himself to change our hearts, to reflect the vocal faithfulness of Mary and the quiet faithfulness of Joseph. And you see, when Jesus becomes our savior, when he becomes Emmanuel, God with us, then we can become people of greatness, people of faithfulness like Mary and Joseph. So how can we question God and yet be faithful like Mary? Because here's the deal. In the garden, before his death, Jesus questioned God. He said, let not this cup, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And yet he remained completely sinless and submissive and obedient to his father's will. That's how we can question God and yet be faithful like Mary? How can we be hurt by others and struggling with God's will, 
yet be faithful like Joseph. Here's the deal. Because Jesus on the cross was completely and mortally wounded by our sin. Yet he did not respond in hatred towards us, but rather he loved us to the very end of his life. And he faithfully loves us now into a new life as we turn to him. See, the answer to our pursuit of faithfulness is God himself. Jesus is faithful. And then when we are faithless, he is faithful for us. And then he gives us his faithfulness. You know, as I was at this point in my sermon, I typically listen to some worship music in the background. And I was listening to an Advent playlist and this song came up. And I want to read to you some of the lyrics of the song as we close out that I think fit, that wrap up Advent very well, that wrap up the sermon very well about God's faithfulness to us is what changes us to be faithful like Mary and Joseph. And it's from, O come thou long expected Jesus. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child, yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come, thou precious ransom. Come, O Savior of the world. Come, thou beauty, let us see. Anxiously, we wait for thee. My friends, the joy of Jesus, the joy of Christmas, the joy of Advent, the joy of God's faithfulness to his own promises is that the waiting is over. Jesus has appeared and he has done all the work for us. Let's believe and trust in him today. Merry Christmas from Redeeming Hope. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.